0: So children, you can go have fun in junior church and uh, learn more about God's love and the blood of Jesus that will never lose its power. We're going to turn to Joshua 7. So if you would turn in your Bibles or a Bible you brought with you, a pew Bible or your app, whatever you use for the Bible, and turn to Joshua 7. We're going to be going there here momentarily. You know, I wonder, um, just a, a question as we begin this message do we have christian pride you know everybody's proud of everything right now we have pride parades that have to deal with uh, sinful issues we of course have maybe school pride and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but do we have christian pride are we proud to be christians here today are we proud to be Christians? Are we proud to enter the, um, go into the Word of God and see what the Lord wants to tell us? Are we, are we proud of our awesome Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who we sing praises to in the morning? And are we more proud of our Savior and excited to be following the Lord than anything else in the world? I hope we are. You know, we're going to deal with it difficult message today, a difficult passage in Joshua 7. There's a few difficult passages in the Bible, and this really is not a passage that's difficult to understand. It's, it's pretty straightforward, actually. It's a difficult passage to apply the truth of this passage to our own lives. You know, we all go through difficult times in life. I think we would all agree that we've gone through difficult times, and I think we'd all agree we've done things and gone through things and we wish we didn't have to go through. I'm sure some of you are employers, or maybe you have been employers, and, and you've had to terminate an employee. If you haven't had to terminate an employee, maybe you've had to uh, let go of employees, lay off employees. You've had to try to prayerfully discern how you could keep your employees in times of trouble. Maybe you've had to fire employees because they just weren't performing. And that's not easy, it's a very difficult time. You've had to deal with something like that. And, I'm sure that some of you have had to confront a family member about substance abuse. Maybe some of you have been the one confronted about substance abuse, where somebody talked to you and said, you need to get help, you need to get support, you need to go to Celebrate Recovery or Teen Challenge or some other place. You've been in these difficult times. I'm sure some of you have fled abusive situations. I'm sure some of you have had to separate from a family member because of certain troubles. What do we do? How do we handle things? How do we cope? As a pastor, I've had to confront sin before. And I've had to counsel people on confronting sin. Sometimes we talk about things like that and we think, Oh, you're being so judgmental. No, we're being biblical. We're being biblical. When you confront somebody... Of, of a pattern of condoned sin or abusive behavior or drug abuse or alcohol abuse or something like that when you prayerfully discern how to confront that you're helping them you're helping them repent and get a right relationship with God because when somebody is living in sin they are disconnected from God there have been multiple times in my pastoral ministry in which I've had to confront sin. I've also uh, seen sin go unconfronted in the church. And I've seen devastating consequences because of this. I've seen devastating consequences because of this. By the way, uh, when in this sermon and generally when, when we talk about confronting sin in the church, this is a disclaimer. We mean unconfessed, ongoing patterns of sin public sin generally too. If if you've done something and you've already confessed it, you've already done business with God on, on that. You've already repented. If you're feeling guilty of something that you've repented of, that guilt is from the devil. Don't, don't worry about that. You've given it over to the Lord. We're talking here about unconfessed... Con- unconfessed, condoned, ongoing patterns of public sin. And that's what I've had to unfortunately confront in the church. That's what we see in Joshua chapter 7. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the New Testament. That's what we see many times churches overlook. I know of churches that have actually condoned sin and even covered it up, even spreading lies to cover up the sin. Later on, those same churches may wonder why they will not grow. I believe the sin of Achan is in their camp. The sin of Achan is in the camp. God's not going to bless our lies. God is not going to bless our condoning of of sin and covering it up. That's what we see in the the Bible. Now, what is the sin of Achan? We're going to talk about that today. But let me share right now. When there is unconfessed and sin that is not repented of, there are devastating consequences. Sin that is not repented of, sin that is ignored, sin that is unconfessed. There are devastating consequences. Sin that is public must be repented of publicly. That's what the Bible teaches. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen says, "If I withhold sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear my prayer." That's a verse for us to memorize. Another one: Numbers thirty-two, twenty-three. Behold, uh, no, be sure your sin will find you out. If you withhold sin in your heart, the Lord would not hear your prayer, and it will find you out. This applies to churches, and this applies to families. I want to walk through Joshua 7 and introduce Achan. My theme today is Achan's hidden sin had devastating consequences to Israel. Achan's hidden sin had devastating consequences to Israel, and here's an application. Don't live with hidden sin. Repent of it. And by the way, if you live in a in a life where you're just daily going before the Lord, repenting of anything you need to repent of, seeking the Lord, that's awesome. Be happy in the Lord. Don't, don't let the devil pile on guilt. That's not the purpose here. I want to read parts of the passage as we talk about it. In verses 1 through 5, we see the shocking defeat of Israel. The shocking defeat of Israel. Let's read those verses. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Verse one here introduces what's going on. Verses two through five give more detail. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, "Go up and spy out the land." So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there. But they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. What we see right here is something that should have been an easy victory became a disaster. And it became a disaster because of sin in the camp. Prior to verse 1, we were in Joshua chapter 6. In chapter 6, the Israelites had an amazing victory of Jericho. All they had to do was march around the city seven times blow the trumpet, blow the shafar, and the walls came tumbling down. You might know the old gospel song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, of Jericho, Joshua. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Elvis did a great job singing that, by the way. <laughs> he did. So that's what happened. By the way, the battle of Jericho was the Red Sea moment for this generation of Israel. It was a Red Sea moment. But with the battle of Jericho, they weren't supposed to let anyone or anything live. And all the gold and silver was supposed to be dedicated to the temple. It meant meant things were to be committed to what was called the ban. The ban. When they went into certain Canaanite cities, they weren't allowed to take things. They were to dedicate those to the temple. But one man, Achan... You can all remember Achan because think of that song from the late 80s, achy, breaky heart. Okay? You'll never forget Achan if you just remember, don't tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart, something like that. You'll always remember, if not, go look it up. You'll never forget about Achan and his sin in the camp. So what happened? This one man took the things that were supposed to be dedicated to the band. So we come to chapter 7. The people of Israel behaved badly. But it wasn't all of Israel that behaved badly. It was one man and probably his whole family with them. Achan behaved badly. Please understand, sin is contagious. The Israelites in the world of that day knew that sin affected a whole community. And we're going to come back to that with applications. Because many of us, if not all of us, at least occasionally, have secret sins. And we think they only affect us, but they devastate our whole family. They have consequences on our whole family. Sin is contagious. Verse 1 summarizes what is about to happen. In verse 2, looking at Joshua 7, Joshua sends spies out to check out the land. In verse 3, the spies share that this should be an easy win. You only need two or 3,000 people. Two or three thousand at the most. That, that two or three thousand should be able to win this battle. Now, they may we we may think um, maybe they're overconfident. But I mean, think about it. Remember how the last city fell? They just march around it seven times and the city falls. They weren't overconfident. In verses four through five, they send the higher of the recommended number, but they are greatly defeated. They send three thousand men to conquer this city, and they leave with their tails between their legs. They flee. And 36 men died. Notice they kept an accurate account. Now imagine this in the local newspaper. I mean, just think about it. Joshua would probably be happy that they did not have Twitter and 24-hour news during that day. Because when 36 men died, when the, the, the Israelite people lose this battle, I'm sure the headlines would have been extra, extra, read all about it, Joshua made bad decisions and Israelite lost 36 lives being defeated by Ai. The late night pundits were probably talking about it. They were probably saying, we need Moses back. Too bad he's dead. They were probably saying Joshua's being a terrible leader. They were probably smearing his name and spreading lies. They were probably exaggerating. They were probably saying the spies said they should send 20,000, not, not two or 3,000. They were probably sharing all kinds of terrible stuff in the news. Thankfully, they did not have 24-hour news. Thankfully, they did not have Twitter. They did not have the pundits dealing with this. But they still had a shocking defeat. They were devastated. It said their hearts became as water. They just melted. Where has the Lord been? What happened? How did we lose this battle? This defeat caused an emotional letdown. In verses 6-9, through nine, we see Joshua's prayer of repentance. Let's read verses 6-9. through nine. Then Joshua... Tore his clothes, which is a sign of mourning. He fell to the earth, humility, on his face before the ark of the Lord, until the evening. Both he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan? Only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. And they will surround us and and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua, the elders of Israel, they go to the Lord in prayer. That's the right thing to do about this. They're repentant. There are signs of repentance. Tearing their clothes is a sign of repentance. They didn't just fall on their knees for five minutes of prayer, by the way. They stayed on their knees before the Lord in prayer. It seems like they weren't only on their knees. They were on their faces before the Lord in prayer. By the way, how repentant are we? Many times we're happy to have a 30-second prayer. And by the way, the length of your prayer does not show the value. I'm not meaning that. But how repentant is our heart? He and the elders put dust on their heads. In verse 7, Joshua begins to pray. Joshua reverently, reverently asks questions of the Lord. In verses 7 through 9, Joshua continues asking questions. And Joshua says, what will you do for your great name? By the way, before this happened, all the surrounding cities were intimidated by Israel. They heard that that, that Israel's God was on the move. They were afraid of Israel. And now Joshua is concerned The other people are going to hear about this, and they're going to come to attack us. And what are we going to do? Joshua asked the Lord, what will you do for your great name? In verses 10 through 15, we see the Lord's response. Look at this. The Lord rebukes Joshua and the people. So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded them. And they have even, notice it says even, and they have even taken some of the things, that, things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up! consecrate the people and say consecrate yourselves for tomorrow for thus the lord the god of israel has said there are things under the ban in your midst o israel you cannot stand before your enemies until until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst in the morning then you shall come near by your tribes and it shall be that The tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. It shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire. He and all that belongs to him. Because he has has transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. I find it interesting how the Lord responds. The Lord tells Joshua to rise up. The Lord has a mission for him. The Lord has a purpose. The Lord has something that he wants Joshua to do to correct this sin. The Lord asks why he has fallen on his face. Of course, the Lord knows. Joshua did not wake up the Lord. Instead of Joshua responding in verse 11, we see the Lord continue to speak. The Lord says, Israel has sinned. Israel has transgressed, which means crossed. Israel has crossed the Lord's covenant. This covenant, the Lord commanded them. The Lord gave them a covenant, and they have violated the covenant with God. They have violated the covenant with God. They have stolen. They have deceived and put among their own things. Israel has sinned, not just Achan. Achan represents the many. Israel has sinned. Verse 12 tells the consequences of their sin. They cannot stand before their enemies. It's over. Until you deal with this, it is over. And by the way, that's the same thing with us, whether you realize it or not. When we are living in sin, condoning sin in our own life, not repenting of it, our spiritual life has a short circuit in it, has a fuse blown, has a circuit blown. They cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs on their enemies and have become accursed. Verse 12 is a strong statement. God will not be with them anymore unless they destroy the things under the ban. Remember, the ban meant it's, it's really holy war. It meant that God was, God was judging the Canaanites at the hand of Israel. God told them they were supposed to send all the gold and silver to the temple and nothing lives. But Achan stole it. Spindle helps with what Achan did. It helps us understand Chuck Swindoll says, unfortunately for Israel, someone after the battle of Jericho had emptied a full offering plate onto his own, into his own pockets. That's what he did. He took the money out of the offering plate, put it in his own pockets. Joshua was innocent. The vast majority of Israel was blameless. Still, the entire nation suffered. J. Sidlow Baxter describes the effect this way. The electric wire of fellowship between God and Israel had been cut, and the current of power therefore ceased to flow. That's precisely the consequence of sin in the camp. That's also why, Swindoll says, that's why I think the intelligence report on the strength of AI was a reasonable one. This should have been an easy victory. Even without the Lord's involvement, no miracle needed there. But the presence of sin interrupted God's desire to bless the nation with another victory. In verses 13 through 15, we have God telling them how to track this down. God says, rise up, consecrate. This means to set apart for a purpose. They had certain rituals of consecration, ritual baths that they had to do in the next day to set themselves apart, to stand before Almighty God. They are to be consecrated the next day. The people are told what they are looking into. Someone took things under the ban. Basically, God tells Joshua to tell them, one one of you is a criminal, and I will find out who. It's like a perfect Dateline episode, okay? One of you is a criminal, and I will find out who. They're going to use detective work, guided by the Holy Spirit, and find this out. They cannot stand before their enemies until this is taken care of. In verse 14, it says, this will be in the morning the next day. They're going to start by tribe. They will work by lot. We're actually not sure that they worked by lot. Translators have added by lot, thinking that it is inferred, it is implied in the translations. But it was common in the Old Testament to work by lot. It was like drawing straws and letting the Lord speak that way. By the way... Since the Holy Spirit came upon the church, we have never been instructed to work that way since. Verse 15, we see the punishment. The one who is taken with the thing shall be burned with fire. This must happen to him and all those who belong to him. This means his family. This is because he transgressed, he crossed the covenant and has done something disgraceful. Notice that his family is included. It is possible that his children were adults and were complicit. It is also possible, by the way, that he was not supposed to. His children were not supposed to be stoned with him, and we'll come back to that here in a couple minutes. In verses 16 through 21, we see Achan's confession, but it is very late. It's very late. Let's read that. So Joshua arose early in the morning, and he brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zarahites. He brought the family of the Zerahites near, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. He brought his household near, man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So the process is taken out, carried out. Joshua is taken the family of the Zarahites, and then Zabdi. In verse 18, we see Achan taken. In verse 19, Joshua says to Achan, My son. Joshua talks to Achan in a loving way, just like he would to a family member, my son. Joshua talks to him and, and asks him to praise and glorify the Lord with his answer. In verses 20 through 21, Achan confesses. But why didn't Achan confess earlier? Why didn't Achan confess when they lost the battle? Why didn't Achan confess when they were going tribe by tribe, family by family? Imagine yourself being Achan, standing there. Your heart is pounding. Are they going to find you out? Are they going to get back to you? Well, the Lord searches the hearts, and the Lord will find you out. Achan acknowledges his sin. He coveted this beautiful mantle. It was from Babylon, by the way. 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. By the way, that is a lot of money. Achan tells where they're at. Chuck Swindoll shares that in ancient times it was common that the warriors who went to battle were able to take the plunder, take the booty, and that was kind of their reward for the battle. But not in this case. In this case, they were supposed to dedicate it all to the temple. So Achan is caught, and now there are consequences. In verses 22 through 26, we see the purge of sin. Let's read the rest of this chapter. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. They ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel. And they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zurah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, and his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his ten, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Acher. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands. To this day, at the time of this writing, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of acher to this day. They found the stuff in his tent with silver underneath it. They showed this to everyone. They showed that they are, um, verses 24 and 25 show that they are stoned at the Valley of Acher. They brought out the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, the, his sons, his daughters, the oxen, the donkeys, the sheep, his tent. And all that belonged to him was burned and killed. Joshua makes a statement. Why have you troubled us? Basically, that's a play on Achan's name. Achan's name means troubler. So there's a play on words here. Joshua is saying, why have you lived up to your name being a troubler? They are stoned and then burned. When we look at this punishment... Remember, they had lost a battle and 36 people died because of Achan's sin. 36 people died. 36 families lost their family members, their loved ones. Jo- uh, Achan's sin jeopardized the nation. Verse 26, they made a monument. The Lord turned from his anger. There's something that bothers me and I'm just going to name it right here. It, Josh was... Um, Achan's children were killed alongside Achan and you read that and we think how could this be and many people would believe that Achan's children were adults and they were complicit in the sin of Achan and that's oftentimes the thought that the adults were complicit it could also be that the children were not supposed to be killed and Joshua went above and beyond the Moody Bible commentary shares this why were Achan's sons and daughters killed The Bible says fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Based on that passage, which is Deuteronomy 24, 16, it seems that one of two things happened here. Either Achan's children were adults, and they were complicit, and that's why they were punished as well. Or Joshua himself violated the Deuteronomy passage by having the children killed with their father. God had not specified anyone other than the culprit to be killed here. I think that source brings out some interesting thoughts. Remember, though, that God is sovereign and God is outside of time. God knows that if he allows corruption and sin to go on, it will destroy the nation. And it does destroy the nation eventually. God knows he has to purge the sin and purge the evil from Israel. One of the reasons God had to purge the sin is because the Messiah would come through the descendants of Israel. Let's take some applications before we close. Sin and its effects are contagious. They affect the whole community. We must recognize this and we must flee sin today as well. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says to flee sexual immorality. Here's some pointed applications. I'm making them generally. You apply it to your own life. Do you really think that the pornography you look at when you're alone is only going to affect you? There are cataclysmic spiritual effects. Aiken's sin was hidden just like yours. Repent of it. Do you really think those lies in your business dealings have isolated consequences? repent they do not have isolated consequences whatever you are dealing with you need to repent remember that Achan's sin was hidden but Israel lost a battle because of it we must repent of sin immediately immediately Achan had opportunity to repent and he did not repent until he was found out we must recognize our sin will find us out that's numbers 32 23 behold your sin will find you out I must continue with this point. I know men who have been caught looking at pornography when their wife walked in the room. Their sin found them out. I know of people who have been caught at work. By the way, it may start with small things and get bigger. I know of people who have been caught at work with, with, with many different things. It, the Holy Spirit is convicting. I know some of you, if not many of you, not all of us, to repent of certain things. The effects of sin are deadly, sometimes literally, but always deadly. We see that in verse 5. 36 men died, and God spared the rest of the nation through this confrontation. I shared about churches that covered up in light about sin. I believe that hurt those churches to this day. Sin is deadly. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus took our hell on the cross. Unconfessed, condoned, ongoing sin ruins marriages, harms families, hurts societies, kills businesses, churches and denominations. It is deadly. And let me come back and tell you, I'm talking about unconfessed, condoned, ongoing public sin. If you've already repented of things, don't let the devil pile on guilt. Sin hurts God too, by the way. Sin breaks God's heart. Sometimes we think sin doesn't hurt God. It does. It breaks his heart. Sin is against God's very being. I mentioned pornography, but this could be any unconfessed ongoing sin. That pattern of unconfessed anger, let's take anger for example. That pattern of unconfessed anger grows until it's a fit of rage. And in that fit of rage, you kill your dog or cat or ravage your home. Or maybe worse, you hurt your children, you hurt your your own spouse. That pattern of unconfessed anger grows until your children watch as you destroy the house. Your children watch as you yell at their mother, cussing her out and breaking things like a wild animal. You flee the house in a rage while your wife and children are in tears. Repent. Get help. Deal with it. Go to Celebrate Recovery. Get counseling. Get support. Lean on the church for help. Don't let it keep going on. It will grow. It will get worse. Repent. It's not my intention to heap up guilt. Guilt is what the Holy Spirit gives you to convict you. If you feel guilty, it could be the Holy Spirit convicting you. It is my intention to encourage you to get help. It is my intention to remind you that Jesus wants to forgive you and help you. You realize that? Jesus wants to forgive us all and help us all out. He doesn't want us living in sin. It could be gossip gossip is super deadly and it is passed down as well your children your grandchildren see you gossip and they keep on doing the same old things it could be substance abuse it could be alcohol it could be many other things we must seek the lord in trouble as joshua did in verses six through nine we must worship the lord as joshua did in verses six through nine we must be repentant as joshua was in verses six through nine we must understand we do not move forward except by the lord You know how that happened? The Lord told Joshua, Israel will not move forward until this is taken care of. We do not move forward spiritually unless we are right with the Lord. We must understand that there is more grace here than we realize. Achan could have repented, but he did not. He did not repent until he was found out. There is more grace here than we realize. God knows, also, this is more grace too, by the way. God knew if he lets this type of sin, this type of corruption go unpunished, it will ruin Israel. So God cleansed Israel to help them out as a people. The family of Achan paid the price for their sin. Someday, 1,200 years later, Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. Do you realize that? Jesus went through Gethsemane. Jesus went through the cross. Jesus paid the price for all of our sin on the cross. Rejoice. Celebrate your forgiveness today. Maybe there's nothing that God's stirring your heart on. Maybe there's nothing you need to repent of. By the way, I mainly talked about sins of commission, sins you do. If you're not being the spiritual leader in your home, that's something else to repent of. God wants you to step up. God wants you to be the spiritual leader. If you're not leading your family to Sunday school and small groups and Bible studies and, and in the spiritual disciplines, if you're not leading your family to worship, if you're prioritizing many other things over God... That's something that that has cataclysmic effects too, by the way. I think when we're raising our children, we need to start from day one, from before we even had children. and, And it's not too late. If you have grandchildren, talk to your own children about this, your adult children. And we need to think, what do we want our kids to know spiritually by the time they're raised? And we need to work forward that way, with that vision, with that mission. And we need to think about everything. If we do these sports and do these sports practices, and it's gonna take our time away from God, you X them out because Christ is the middle. Christ is king. Christ is Lord. You put that first. You put Christ first. You think about everything, movies, TV, music, reading, writing, everything to put Jesus as number one. Many times we think just because they don't have practice on Wednesday night, we're, we're good. But they have practice Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Wednesday night. The kids don't want to go out and spend time in the Word, spend time in Bible study. We're overburdening our families. You put Jesus first. That's something to repent of as well. God wants to forgive us. God wants us in a right relationship with him. God stirs our hearts. Celebrate Christ's forgiveness today. A number of years ago, I was a senior pastor of a church, a different church. I knew of a leader living in sin. This was someone who led the congregation in worship. Every single Sunday, he stood in front of the congregation and he led worship. But he thought since he was older, it was okay for him to move in with his girlfriend. He thought that was okay. I met with him one-on-one and he didn't take it too well. Following Matthew 18, 15 through 17. By the way, 2 Corinthians 2 and many other passages teach, when someone does repent, we celebrate that. We give forgiveness. This man was not repentant. Another one of our church leaders confronted him as well. He lashed out in anger and he lashed out in uh, responding in a very passive aggressive way. He was not repentant at all. I remember uh, running, Mercedes was just over one at the time and I was running and I'm pushing her in a jogging stroller and for an hour and 15 minutes, I'm trying to pray but my mind kept going back to worst case scenarios. What if the church doesn't support me? What if the leaders don't support me? What if I have to leave over this? And I finally obviously came to the conclusion i got to trust the Lord. i got to obey the Lord and not man. i got to have the fear of the Lord greater than the fear of men. We talked to him and it obviously didn't go well on his part. And then the following Thursday, just like two or three days later, I'm on another run just alone and I'm listening to a Chuck Swindoll sermon. And in Chuck Swindoll's sermon, this is what he said. He said, personally, I would, I would just as soon brush aside sinful behavior and enjoy a nice dinner. He says, I hate confronting sin. I dislike with a passion wading through the muck and mire. Yet I cannot remember a time when I chose to delay a necessary confrontation that I did not later regret it. Three days after I was being stirred about this and stressed about this, the Lord gives me this Chuck Swindoll message where he's saying the exact same thing. Nobody likes dealing with this. But every time he's waited, he's regretted it. I waited and regretted it that time. God gave me those words in a timely way. Some of you are thinking through this sermon, we're being judgmental when we confront sin. Wrong. We are being biblical. I already said that. I know I'm repeating it. Plus, we are helping them. If we confront somebody in ongoing, ongoing repetitive lifestyles of sin, and we confront them and they repent, their relationship with Christ is restored. That's grace, that's mercy, that's truth, that's awesome. Your eyes at grace and truth came together at the cross. We're helping them repent and run back to Jesus. Sin is a violation to our relationship with God. And when we live in sin, our relationship with God is blocked because sin is against God. I already quoted Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: 18. If I withhold sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear my prayer. So... What's the solution? Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Get up in the morning and talk to the Lord before you get out of bed. Spend time with the Lord all day long. Spend time with the Lord in devotions and in his word. And when the Lord convicts you of different things, don't ignore them. Don't try to justify them. Don't try to say, oh, this is okay because I'm over 60 years old. That's what this worship leader said. Don't say that, you know, this is okay in my situation. Don't say the Bible is outdated. Don't do things like that. Don't resist the Holy Spirit's prompting. It has cataclysmic effects. It did here, and it does today, too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you after reading and studying this passage. Lord God, and I ask that all of us here, we will not resist the Holy Spirit's prompting. Lord God, just help us to walk with you. Help us to follow you. Help us not to resist the Holy Spirit. Our world is pushing all around us. Our world is trying to justify sin all around us. But, Lord God, help us to cling. Help us to cling to you. Help us to cling to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We can't live the Christian life on our own. We need your help. We need your support. And, Lord, if anybody's overburdened by this message, help us to celebrate. You forgive us. We are forgiven. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are forgiven much. And we have great gratefulness and gratitude. And we worship you. Lord, I know the devil likes to rain on things. The devil might like to say, to heap judgment on us when maybe we've already repented of things. In that case, Lord, we push the devil back. We tell him to go back to hell. And we remember that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus, you are within us. And when we we repent of things, we are washed in the blood. We are forgiven. We celebrate that. But help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to just grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead, Steve.